0: ladies well I tell you what I don't know about you it does my heart good to hear teenagers get up and actually harmonize I know I know listen to me I'm, I'm all about a joyful noise but it's sure a lot more joyful when they're blending you know and I, I mean I'm, I'm not I'm not I'm telling you we need to raise our young people to give the best they've got and not settle for anything less than the best And, boy, I'll tell you what, right there, I like that. I mean, I'm listening to that going, man, now somebody, you know, they're working at it. They're they're striving. They're really practicing. You can tell. They're putting the time in, and they want to do a a good job for Jesus Christ. And what sure makes it easier to focus on the Lord when you're not going, you know. You know what I'm saying? And that's true with anybody that stands behind the pulpit. Some people say, well, it doesn't matter what they sound like. You telling me it doesn't matter what they sound like? Have you ever heard somebody that really messes up in the pulpit? You feel sorry for them. You're not focused on Jesus. You're going, man, I feel embarrassed for them right now. You ever been there? Now, listen, again, I, I'm just sharing you how I feel about it. I, I think the best belongs at the front and, and the best to Jesus. He bel- He deserves the best. So, listen, you know what? You could be the best singer in the world if you're not willing to put in the time and the effort and practice and try to become the best you can be at what you're doing. Then you probably don't belong up here anyway. Because it's not our ability that pleases God. You know, it's, it's doing it for the right reason. And if you're not willing to give your best to God, then probably you'd be better off just to eh, not do it. You know. So I like it. I'm excited about that. I was encouraged to hear those girls sing. And I think to myself, what a future they have. And they'll stay faithful to the Lord. How many of them, they'll be in groups the rest of their life, enjoying music, serving the Lord, and just having a great time? Boy, that's a blessing. I loved it. All right, take your Bible, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 2. We're going to talk about, you know, we're in our Back to God series. And so we've been addressing a number of issues. I'm just going to mention, you know, we talked about getting back to the Bible. We talked about getting back to church. We talked about getting back to loving. And, a number, you know, we're going to be going through a number of others as well. But today I want to start talking about an issue that, has been uh, under attack for a number of years. And unfortunately, I-, I do believe that it's taking root in our churches as well, and I think it's important that we address this issue. Um, and-, and again, I-, I realize parents are responsible for their own kids but and, and how you raise your kids, but I'm going to tell you, we need to get back to discipline. Amen. We need to get back to discipline. Yes, sir. Amen. I, it, you know, this one's just going to be what it is, you know what I mean? And so we'll see you know, where we're at with this, but the truth is, is that, is that I, I'm convinced we need to get back to discipline today. And I'm talking about biblical discipline, and we're going to talk a little bit about some of that. I want to begin by noting a character in the Bible, and, and I say character, we know that it's a real person, uh, this is just an account. And so let's consider this man by the name of Eli, the prophet. Look, if you would, in chapter 2, 1 Samuel 2, verse 12, First Samuel 2, verse 12. It says, now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. Let me tell you something, that's not good right there. Sons of Belial. It's not talking about that the sons of Eli were adopted to Eli and they were actually Belial's sons. It's talking about their spiritual condition and state. They're basically sons of the devil. They had the devil in them. That's rough, you know. I'm going to preach the message this morning, how to get the devil out of you. And the Lord didn't impress that on me this morning, so I put something else together. But the the, the fact is, is that is that sometimes you know what uh, we get the devil in us, so to speak. I'm not talking about being possessed by the devil. I'm talking about being controlled, really. I'll tell you what, uh, there's Christians that act like the devil's pulling every pushing every button in their life. And these young men right here, it literally says in the passage that they were. The sons of Eli were sons of Belial. I mean to tell you, they were taking orders from the devil. And notice, they knew not the Lord. They knew not the Lord. These are some pretty wicked kids we're going to find out. And again, when I say kids, they were men at this point. Notice what it says in verse 17. We're going to read through verse 17 first. And and wherefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord. For men abhorred the offering of the Lord. They were working in the ministry with their daddy. Daddy's a priest, they're a priest. And here we have these sons, and they're sons of Belial. And the Bible says they're so wicked and so sinful that ultimately, it says here that people, they abhorred the offering of the Lord. They hated to go and offer an offering. They hated to have to face these young men. They hated going to church, so to speak, because they were going to have to deal with these guys. Notice it says in verse 22 now. Now Eli was very old and heard all that his sons did unto all Israel and how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And these were very immoral, wicked men. And yet they were the spiritual leaders. They were there to receive the offerings. They were the sons of Eli. He goes on to say, the Lord, it goes on to say that that all, uh, excuse me, and how they, let's see, um, it says, and he said unto them, Eli, that is, why do ye such things? For I hear of your evil dealings by all this people. He didn't hear about it from just one or two people. He heard about it from everyone. Every time you run into somebody, man, Eli, your sons are just, wow. They're out of control, man. Notice he goes on here. It says, he says, Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear. Ye make the Lord's people to transgress. Pretty bad when the preacher's the one that makes the people of God sin because they just can't stand to worship God in his presence. Notice verse 25. If one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Notwithstanding, they hearken not unto the voice of their father, because the Lord would slay them. And the child Samuel grew on and was in favor both with the the Lord and also with men. We're going to see ultimately that Samuel's a part of this, but we're not going to really address him through this whole mess. Now, I want you to look at verse 27. Verse 27. And there came a man of God unto Eli, and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, did I plainly appear unto the house of thy father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? Let me ask you, did God plainly appear unto the house of thy fathers, of their fathers? Did he do that in Egypt? Of course he did. And did I choose out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priests, to offer upon mine altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? Of course he did. And did I give unto the house of thy father all the offerings made by fire of the children of Israel? Yes. Levi. The tribe of Levi. Wherefore kick ye at my sacrifice and at my offering, which I have commanded in my habitation, and honorest, watch this, and honorest thy sons above me. Here's the man of God, Eli. Eli. He's supposed to be serving the Lord and he's supposed to be caring for the the, the position or the place of the priesthood. And he says, Wherefore kick ye at my sacrifice and at my offering, which I have commanded in my habitation, and honors thy sons above me to make yourselves fat with the cheapest of all the offerings of Israel, my people. You're taking the best. You're not doing things properly. You're not doing it the way I intended it to be done. You're transgressing the law. And you act as though what I wanted and and what I've established is nothing and you're going to do things your way and permit your children to do things their way instead of my way. And he says, and I mean, it's a scary thought. I mean, to think this, I mean, look at this. He says, and honorest thy sons above me. Eli's honoring his sons above God. He's showing favor to his sons above God. He's allowing their their transgression to continue while God's making it clear that it should not. He's honoring his children above God. I wonder, do people still honor their children above God? Sometimes, I'm afraid that happens. Notice he goes on to say here, he says, Wherefore, verse 30 The Lord God of Israel saith, I said indeed that thy house and the house of thy father should walk before me forever, but now the Lord saith, Be it far from me. For them that honor me, I will honor, and they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. It's interesting how God just Lays it out. I mean, God doesn't pull punches sometimes. Sometimes, you know, we're always about how gracious God is, and he is gracious. But you know the one thing about God that that often is not the same with people? He's very honest here. He says, you know what? I'm just going to call it what it is. You're not going to honor me here. I'm not going to honor you. You want to despise me? Okay. Go ahead. Despise me. And you're going to be lightly esteemed. I'm not going to show you much favor. Verse 31, Behold, the days come that I will cut off thine arm and the arm of thy father's house, that that there shall not be an old man in thine house. And thou shalt see an enemy in my habitation, in all the wealth which God shall give Israel, and there shall not be an old man in thine house forever. And the man of thine whom I shall cut off from thine altar shall be to consume thine eyes and to grieve thine heart and all that increase of thine house and all the increase of thine house shall die in the flower of their age. means they're going to die young. And this shall be a sign unto thee that shall come upon thy two sons on Hophni and Phinehas In one day they shall die, both of them. Hey, God's serious about this thing. This is big time. Look in chapter 4, verse 11 now. A battle ensues with the Philistines. In verse 11, we see the outcome of that battle. And the ark of God was taken, representing the very presence of God. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were slain. And that's something that's an amazing, sti- uh, amazing uh, uh, statement now we know it's interesting too, look if you went over in the book of Ephesians real quick I'm going to find this verse but in chapter I believe it's chapter 6 look at what he says here in Ephesians chapter 6 we have this account back there all the way back In the book of Samuel. And someone says, well, you know, that's Old Testament. And God dealt with people differently in the Old Testament than he does the New. Okay, well, I'm not going to argue or debate that. There are certain things that God does differently under grace that he did back there under the law. However, let let me show you in Ephesians how everything that was transpiring back here really is exactly what God still intends today. Notice in chapter 6, verse 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the what? First commandment with promise. What promise? That it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. What did Hothna and Phinehas do? They certainly weren't wanting to obey their daddy, were they? They didn't want to do what he said. Matter of fact, they didn't want to hear what he had to say, and guess what it, how it ended for them? They died early. Just the same thing he promises in Ephesians chapter 6. Now, I know that somebody will say, well, I know somebody is wicked and loved their parents, and they treated their parents bad, and I know they grew to be old. Yeah, I know. I know there are exceptions to that rule in that that regard. But I'm going to tell you what, the way of the transgressor is hard. I'm about tired of this idea that the Christian life is so tough that we just can't, can't live it. Go ahead and live the sinner's life. And the problem is today is that if you didn't come from a sinful background, you can't appreciate how wonderful it is to be in Christ. In many cases, those that are second generation Christians or those that were born into Christian homes have no concept of what real sorrow is in sin. Often they're saved very early and they take for granted the fact that they're saved and they're forgiven, they're on their way to heaven and they look at the world and they say, man, I, wanted, I want what the world has. But yet the very ones that are saved out of the world say, I don't want nothing to do with that. I want, to, I want what Christ has. Tell you what, young people, children alike, be very careful. Because in Ephesians 6, 4, it goes on to say, and ye fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, obviously, we've got... Uh, p- young people in Ephesians 6 that are to honor and obey their parents and if they do the Bible says you know what if you'll just walk according to the, uh, the word of God and listen to your parents and obey your parents and honor your parents it's going to go well with you Now, that's not guaranteeing you're not going to get a car accident it's not guaranteeing you're not going to have some kind of disease down the road that I'm not telling you that you're guaranteed to live hundred years that's not what I'm telling you but I promise you this the principle is this if you'll be rebellious and disobedient to your parents you are only g- inviting problems and ultimately shortening your life. And then in Ephesians 6, 4 again, we noted here that fathers you are not to provoke your children to wrath. See, these passages that we read, they show the desperate need among all to discipline. I mean, Eli obviously did not handle his children properly. I don't know about you, but it seems pretty clear to me that it wasn't handled right. To be consistent, if one loves, then they must discipline. And again, it appears to me that for some reason, whatever it may be, and again, I may be misunderstanding the passage and the circumstance and the situation somewhat. Here's an older man, Eli. Here's his children that have grown up in his household and ultimately out on their own, if you will, still sinning against Dad, still not listening to Dad. And in my opinion, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't believe these young people ever listen to Daddy. Daddy. I think there was always a problem with Eli's sons. I don't think it just happened when they got out of the house. I don't believe that you could be as wicked and sinful as priests in the priesthood if you hadn't already had a a bad attitude growing up in that home. And I don't understand all of it, but I'm going to tell you what, God seems to put a little bit of responsibility, if not all, on Eli himself here. I don't know if, if, you know... Eli put his own needs above his children. I don't know whether he was too busy at work and he couldn't bear to see them, or if he couldn't bear to see them cry. I don't know why he didn't step in. I don't understand why he didn't draw a line in the sand much, much earlier in life. I mean, this was going on for some time. Why is it still going on? It's clear, whatever the case... That Eli hadn't done what was best for his children, though. Because ultimately, not only did he suffer the loss of his children and have to bear that, but they lost their lives. Parents, your children's lives are at stake. Their, your, your children's lives are at stake here. Talk about getting back to biblical discipline. I'm telling you, your parent your children's lives are at stake. We are commanded to bring them up. It says in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's kind of funny, isn't it? It's interesting that this message came up on the dedication, baby dedication night, isn't it? I did not plan that. When I saw that it was going to fall that way, I was like, wow, that is perfect. We are commanded to bring them up. This is is a deliberate act. It's active, bringing them up. It's not passive. It doesn't just happen by accident. The command to train up our children is just as binding as the command to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. It's just as binding as bring your tithes to the storehouse. It's just as binding as living for God and presenting yourself to Jesus Christ. It's just as binding as you're to go out into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Let me tell you, you're to bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We're to bring them up. That's a command. So we need to get back to discipline if we're going to raise a godly seed. And that's what we need to raise today. We don't need good kids. We need godly kids. Yeah, there's a lot of good kids in the world. There's a lot of good kids in the world. We need godly kids. Godly teenagers, and godly young people, and godly singles. We need godly kids. And I get it. I understand it. And I'm not going uh, to go over this over and over again. And I hope you get this. But I realize that there are situations. I had a pastor talk to me the other day at the football camp. And he said, Man, I got four kids. And he goes, One of them is just off completely, just out in the world. He goes, It breaks my heart. I keep wondering, What did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? He goes, I know some people tell me it's only one. I said, Yeah, but it's still one, it's still your son. And he said, absolutely, it drives me crazy. And may I say, if you're a parent today and your children are out in the world and it doesn't drive you nuts as a Christian, then something's wrong with you or Christianity. It's driving you crazy, isn't it? It ought to drive you crazy. Man, we want godly kids. And someone says, well, whose fault was it that that one kid went bad? I don't know. If he's got three that are in church and one that's on the run, I'm not so sure that the one on the run is a reflection of what was taking place in the home i'm gonna just tell you i'm gonna i'm not gonna pull the trigger and be the one to judge that but i'll tell you this if you got four and all four out in the world then there was something wrong i don't know you go ahead and say whatever you want and you say preacher you're judging i don't know then get on your knees and start fasting and praying and figure out what's going on because listen if that is the case then it's probably likely your children are raising your grandchildren to go to hell too And I don't know about you as a parent, but that would bother me to see my grandkids burning in hell. And you know, we don't talk like that today. We're not straightforward like that. Jesus was, but we're not. We're so afraid of offending someone. But I'm telling you, this is the real deal. This stuff really matters. And your children's lives depend on it. And so do your grandkids. You can't control what your kids do when they get out of your house, I know. But if you've got any influence in their life, whether they're in or out, use it to create or to help them become godly. Don't just throw your hands in the air and go, well, it ain't going to do no good. Everything helps. Listen, doing nothing is not the answer. Doing something is. Pray and ask God, what is it you want me to do? How do you want me to approach this? How do you want me to handle this? But we've got to do something to reach our kids. If they're not right and they're not living right, and may God help us, even if they're out of our homes, to do what we can to influence them positively for God. But if they're in the home, then we do have a responsibility to raise a godly seed. And I don't care if they're 20 in the home, 25 in the home, or 15 or 10. If they're in the home, we have to raise a godly seed. So, we've got to get back to discipline if we're going to raise a godly seed. See, we want to raise a seed that's going to grow to love, honor, and worship the Lord our God. A seed that's going to bring pleasure to God. We use the verse often in Revelation 4, 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. If as a parent our children are not bringing pleasure to God, we ought to ask ourselves, what can I do to help make that happen? Because I want them to bring pleasure to God. That's why they were created. That's why God gave them to me, so that they could bring pleasure to him. It's my responsibility to raise them in a way that they give pleasure to God. And again, if your children are already out of the house, I mean, there's only so much you can do, but you can try to do something. But let me tell you, I'm talking primarily those whose kids are still in the house. Because what we find is that Eli was still responsible because they were in the ministry here with him. He was doing nothing to suppress or to deal with that sin. And he allowed it to go on right under his nose. Therefore, there was tremendous inconsistency in his home, obviously. We also want to see that it's going to pass the faith along to their children and their children's children. We could take the time to read Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. And we could read how we're to put, put the Word of God in their face. We're to put it on their uh, reddit on the walls. We're to put it here and put it there. And we're to have just rise up in the morning and go to sleep at night with the Word of God. The Bible says in Psalm 127, 1, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. There's no perfect parents in here. None of us are perfect. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to mess up. We're going to do things that, don't, that aren't even biblical probably at times and then find out later the Holy Spirit convicts us and says, man, that wasn't very smart. That was stupid. You shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have allowed that. The question is, what will you do then with it? We're just humans. No perfect parents. And there are no perfect children. But we want to raise a godly seed. So we're going to work at this because it's important. We've got to get back to discipline then because you don't raise a godly seed letting them raise themselves. Ed, Dr. Edward Wake, Wake uh, Watke, Jr., he made this statement. Let me read the quote. What you are, you are producing in your child, for we reproduce after our kind. Now, you, got, you know where he's going with that. He's going back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 21 and 25. When God created all things, he said, and they, 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 uh, cre- they um, uh, reproduced after their kind and after their kind. So a dog, two dogs get together. They reproduce after their kind. They produce a dog. Okay, it, it, it's, you know, that's how it works. And the truth is, is as parents, we're reproducing after our kind, he says. What we are is what we produce. So he goes on to say, they are being trained to be what we are. Build character and become fanatical about it. Let your child see that you are, quote, happy and free, unquote, as you walk with the Lord. Did you hear that? Let your child see that you are happy and free as you walk with the Lord. Don't allow the television to steal communications and morals. You train them, just, uh, train them not just by the yeses or nos, but by your modeling and your example. If you train them by your life so they see consistency, happiness, and forgiveness, they will not long, they will not long to get away from you to, quote, kick over the traces unquote, to wallow in the slime of sin or do as they please. They must see the, quote, genuine, unquote, article of godly living. Let them see what loving God and denying self really does. Let them see that you don't lose, the, uh, lose by following God, but you gain. Let them see love and compassion, for we are to train them. Bring them up. Bring them up, he says. I think that's a powerful statement by this doctor. And so, we need to get back to disciplining. Now, there are some teachers in our room here. And there are some that teach children that are extremely young. And if there's one thing that is very, very much a theme among teachers, especially the younger ones, well, even older as they get older, is that we see a lack of discipline from children today. It's, just, it's, it's a characteristic of, of our culture and our society. But it is really an indictment on the home. See, children are only a byproduct of what they are being taught. If your child has a bad attitude, there's a good chance you do. And I'm not talking about in the same area. You say, well, I don't don't have a bad attitude toward the preacher. Well, do you have a bad attitude toward somebody in the church? Because maybe he just didn't like how the preacher talked to him one day. And so you don't like how somebody else talked to you. And you make it clear you don't like that to him. And so he says, I don't like the preacher. And you say, you shouldn't say that, Junior. The preacher's there because he loves you and he cares about you. Yeah, but you talk to him that way. I'm telling you, they're not, they're not just, just doing exactly, they're just modeling what you they're just doing what you model many times. They're doing what I modeled. That was the scariest thing as a parent. I don't know about you, but I kept thinking, man, I'm watching them and everything they do wrong, I go, wow, did I teach them that? And they, do you ever feel that way? I did all the time. At least three times in the whole time they were growing up. <laughs> I said at least three times. <laughs> Multiplied by whatever. <laughs> And so we want to get back to, biblical, to, to, to back to discipline. And so I want to share a couple things with you because we're taking a long time on this intro. But first of all, I want to talk about the method of discipline. And I think this is important because we talk about getting back to discipline. We've gotten away from the method of discipline. I'm talking about the biblical method. Now, I know we are much wiser and much smarter today than we were a generation ago. I know that we have so much more technology We've got so many more options. We, we, we have so many more PhDs that have all the answers today than we used to. we got talk show hosts that have it all figured out. I mean, really, who needs the Bible anymore? Not when you got all the world telling us how good this works and how good that works, and yet we still see cities being burned down by young people. I'm, I'm, I'm having a real hard time. That, that, that we have all these great methods today and, and we're so much more humane today and we're teaching our kids now to be gentler and more loving and kinder today. And they're not nearly as, they're not gonna grow up and be so violent like it used to be back in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. Look at how kind kids are to each other today. Look at how wonderful they treat one another, how respectful they are to their elders. Isn't it a wonderful thing what this new generation of discipline has done? But still, even in the church, we're buying into it. Can't even take our kids to the grocery store without them throwing fits. The day that I, I tell you I I, I I I hate hated I just say hated, I loathe the day when they created years ago they created what was called a at the grocery store a child friendly aisle to check out with. You know what they did? They moved everything you could grab. You couldn't, kids had nothing to grab. Now a kid always finds something to grab anyway. But I thought to myself, why is it the grocery store, why is it that those folks have to put those in place? Why does an IGA uh, manager feel the need to have a child-friendly aisle? Why why does someone at Walmart feel they have to have a child-friendly aisle? Why would they feel that way? Because they have to, because little kids are grabbing stuff constantly, and parents are freaking out. Children are punching their parents and screaming and yelling in the store. And so like, man, just for our own sanity, let's go ahead and not give them those options. We'll just give them this thing and maybe we can put a, you know, like they're in a rubber room or something, you know, you can walk on through, you can't touch anything. I, I mean, it's ridiculous that we have to cater to children that way. Oh, isn't it funny? A childproof home. Let's get rid of every coffee table. Let's get rid of this. Let's get rid of that. Let's get rid of that. Don't put a clicker down on the, on the table. Don't put any knickknacks down low. Don't put anything where a kid can touch anything. Why? Why? Because we're not disciplining, that's why. Well, you just don't understand. Little kids are crazy. Two-year-olds are nuts. You got those, I mean, you, you got the, 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 you know, the terrible threes, the, uh, the terrible twos, the horrible threes. You got the, the, the you know, the worst fifteens. I mean, it's crazy. It never ends anymore, does it? I'm going to tell you something. I, I'm just going to be honest with you. I never wanted my kids to grow up. I loved them being kids. And I loved them being teenagers. I know everybody's like, the teen years were the worst. I was like, they were great. It was fun having teens around. And I've always loved teenagers anyway, except for a few of these guys. But, but uh, I mean, I've always loved teenagers. But the fact is, is that, man, I loved having teenagers at home. And someone says, how can that be? I'll tell you why, because they were good kids. So you're lucky. Yeah, I know, Really lucky. Yeah, none of my kids were strong-willed. None of my kids had a flesh. None of my kids wanted to do what they wanted to do. They all wanted to do what I wanted to do all the time. How ridiculous does that sound? It's always funny. Every parent has the strong-willed child. If you only had my kid. Yeah, I'm telling you right now. If you had my kid, you'd know what it is. You'd realize why it's so much trouble. Yeah, I know. My kids were never strong-willed. Come on. we got to get back to discipline. Biblical discipline. You say, well, what is that? Let's take a little stroll down Bible lane. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24. I think this is the most powerful verse on discipline in the entire Bible to me. Look what it says here. It's amazing. People say to me all the time, well, when do you start disciplining a child? As soon as a child knows how to do wrong? Let me give you an example. A little baby cries... You put it to bed, you put it in its little crib, and you make sure it's all dry, it's changed, and the little baby is perfectly fine, wrapped up, swaddled up, whatever you want to do, and I know every time they turn around, doctors change their mind, whether you should swaddle, whether you should, whether you should put them on their stomach, whether you should put them on their back, whether you should hang them upside down or stand them straight up. I mean, it's just, it changes every generation, you know what I mean? So, anyway, either way, you're doing it just like the doc says, just like child psychologists tell you. And the child's all nice and comfortable there in that little bed. And you go, little goo goo bed, you go, you go, you go, you go to sleep now. You pat them on the butt, and they're like,
1: <laughs>
0: and you walk out of the room and you tiptoe and you shut the door behind you. And you go sit on the couch with your wife or your husband and you say, Whoa. and all of a sudden, right? And you're like, what is going on? What? Run, you run in there. What's going on? Oh, my. There's got to be something wrong. And you look at the baby, and you're like, huh, check it. I don't ever do this. But anyway, my <laughs> wife would check it. Oh, everything looks dry and perfectly comfortable. And the baby's doing fine. I don't understand it. There's no, there's no bugs in the bed. There, there's no spiders or snakes. Everything looks perfectly fine. I don't understand it. Why is the baby crying? And so you pet the baby back down again. You go, go to sleep, close your eyes. And you tiptoe out of the room. You sit down and you go, what are we going to do
1: now?
0: And you're like, back in. You know what? That goes on a while until you finally realize what's going on. That kid's lying to you. That little selfish baby wants you to hold it, pick it up, comfort it, talk to it, whatever it is, but it doesn't want to go to sleep right now, and it's pretending that it's acting like there's something wrong, because every time it cries, it has trained you to go after it. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. When you first have a baby, man, I mean, that first kid is like, wow. Are you ever going to put it down? No. You know how that is. By about the third one, you're like, hey... Your turn. You know? But but you you get it right and, and so that baby's lying to you. I mean, early on children learn how to manipulate parents and they they listen, they're born with a sin nature. They know how to do this. And so when do you start disciplining? <laughs> Even right then. Have you I know this is cruel and unusual punishment. But has anybody ever closed the door and let a baby cry itself to sleep? Of course you have. You know what you just taught it? Crying is (laughs) anti-productive. Now, if if, if you thought your baby was sick or having a breathing problem or there was an issue, and listen, there's not a parent in this room or a grandparent in this room that usually can't tell the difference between that fake, phony cry and a legitimate problem. And if you've never had kids and you've just watched children, you can tell too. Watch this verse, Proverbs 13, 24. And I'm not talking about, listen, uh, you know, a three-month-old, you don't have to pull him up. Guess what, son? Your diaper's a little thick. I'm going to pull it down and whip you with the rod. (laughs) You know, we're not talking about that either, okay? Come on, chill out. That happens at four months. No, I'm teasing. Not really. I'm joking, okay? It doesn't. It doesn't. Okay, but watch. Look what it says here. He that spareth his rod spoileth his child. But he that loveth him chasteneth him be He that spareth his rod spoileth his son. Is that what it says? Hey, what do we say all the time? What I just said. Spare the rod, spoil the child. Spare the rod, spoil the child. That's not what the Bible teaches. What's the Bible say? Boy, this is really serious business. He that spareth his rod hateth his son. You want to know why? Because God knows what Eli learned way too late. That it cost your children their lives when you failed to discipline biblically. Now go ahead. You can do it your way. And you throw them in a timeout corner. You know, they're two years old, and you can sit them down and try to talk to them. Rap with them. Reason with them. I'm gonna tell you, there's no two or three year old can reason. Not not like that. Now let me just ask you, honey, you don't say don't say no. Why not? Well, because mommy and daddy love you. Oh, okay, cool mom. Cool pops. No, it doesn't work like that. That little baby, that two or three year old could care less about what you want. What they want is what they want. You know what they've got in them that we have? A sin nature. You know what they've got? A selfish nature. Every little child, all they want is what they want. That's why you have to train your kids to share toys. Because what, what, is, what is mine is mine, and what is yours is mine to a little kid. Go down to the nursery sometime. You want to talk about WWE wrestling? <laughs> the difference is they're just really small. But boy, they're over there pulling toys out of each other's hands. They're going crazy. And you say, how did my little kid get a big old knot on his head? Probably because he was fighting with one of your brother's or sister's kids. I and mean, they're in there learning how to cope and learning how to deal. And our nursery workers are trying to help train them up a little bit too and reinforce some of the rules I hope that you're trying to train them in, at home with. I, I heard you took that toy away from my kid. Well, yeah, I did because they ripped it out of that other little kid's hand. Well, still, my kid, Well, you're not going I'd hate to see how that's going to turn out in the end. Wow, I, I'm just going to trust the nursery workers to do the right thing in many cases. And if I think there's a problem with a nursery worker not doing things right, I'm going to the nursery director about it. And I'm going to say, hey, listen, I was just kind of curious. My kid's come home, and, you know, I heard that, you know, he's been getting uh, treated, uh, you know, poorly in the nursery, or this happened, or that happened, and I'm just concerned about it. Hey, listen, you have every right as a parent to express your concerns. But, but why don't you at least listen to the director and hear what they had to say before you come to any conclusions. He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him be times. Can anybody tell me what the rod is? You don't have to get out loud with it, but I'm just kind of a rhetorical question. Now listen, uh, when I teach train-up a child classes here, I, I used to have rods that I would let people take home with them. I used dowel rods. I spanked my kids with dowel rods years ago. And somebody says, "Wow, that sounds like cruel and unusual punishment." I don't know; it sounds biblical to me. We can talk about using your hands. You can talk about using a belt. You can talk about using a number of other methods. But if you're going to do it biblically and you use a rod, let me tell you something: ah, it stings pretty good, but it doesn't really beat them up. Listen, I used to make those available till I got a call from Children's Services one time, and they said, "I hear that you're passing out sticks to beat children." Now, I, at that point, I could have gotten biblical and said, well, the Bible says we can beat our kids. Because we use the word beat. But I'm not that stupid. I just talked. I said, well, where'd you hear that from? We're, we're not at liberty to, to divulge our... Uh, you know, I, yeah, right, got, I got it. Is it true that you are... I said, well, I do make rods available. It's truly a voluntary basis. I know, but you're teaching people how to beat their children? And I said, no. I'm teaching people how to biblically discipline their children according to the word of God and in accordance to the state. Uh, let me see, what was it at the time? Um, I forget what the code was. There was a code that permitted us to... There's a code in the state, Ohio State code that allows you to protect your children from harm. By the way, you don't teach your kid how to be disciplined and how to listen to your voice and how to, when you say no to stop or to say stop and then stop, then guess what you're doing? You're, you're availing them to, to danger. Go ahead and play by the street sometime and let your kid run out in the middle of the road and see what happens. So we're just trying to protect them and that's what the state of Ohio permits. We're allowed to protect our kids. We're allowed to teach them how to, we're allowed to do that. You're allowed to spank your children too, by the way. Don't let anybody tell you you can't. You can, legally. I haven't heard that they've changed the law in the state of Ohio in a number of years, so unless they've changed it without me knowing it. And even so, can I tell you something? What if they tell you you're not allowed to ever mention the name Jesus in your home either? You're going to stop doing that? Last I checked, I'm going to obey God rather than man. You say, but I don't want to go to jail. I'm going to tell you something. Rather than see my my child lose his life early, I'd rather go to jail. I know you don't agree with some of that, but that's all right. You don't have to agree with it. All I know is this. If you're going to be biblical, then be biblical, and you better be consistent in every area of the Bible, not just one. I'm always amazed at men that love the preacher to talk about Ephesians chapter 5 and submission their wives are to submit. But when he gets on that loving thing, it's like, okay, you can get over that one. Or tell my kiddies to honor and obey me. Yeah, well, you're also told you're supposed to be in God's house and not forsake the assembling. And you're also supposed to be, you know, reaching out to your community and trying to witness witness to every creature. You're also supposed to be giving according to the scriptures. You're also supposed to be doing this, 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 and this. You better be consistent across the board. Your kids notice that stuff. They're going to resent you spanking them probably if you're not consistent across the board as believers. Now he goes on in Proverbs 23, 13. Withhold not correction from the child. For if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. That's pretty good. Proverbs 23, 14 and 15. Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. Foolishness is bound in the heart of the child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. And somebody says, you better explain this this beating because I know somebody in this room is going to take it wrong. They're going to go home and beat their child. Whatever. I I really don't think that's a problem because they'd be doing it now if they were going to do it. I think the Bible's pretty clear on what the purpose of this spanking is, if you will. We call it a spanking, a beating. Years ago, we used to say, I'm going to beat your backside buster if you don't settle down today we don't dare say the word beat because the culture and the society automatically ties that to abuse yet the bible talks about beating them with a rod Now again i don't suggest you walk around and go i beat my kids with a rod no i would not do that you know i would be very discreet we'll talk a little bit about that maybe later you got to be careful of that stuff but we need to be also biblical. Proverbs twenty thirty says, the blueness of a wound cleanseth away evil, so do stripes the inward parts of the belly. So there's chastening that takes place, the Bible talks about. To correct by punishment, to punish, to inflict pain for the purpose of reclaiming an offender. As to, quote, chasten a son with a rod. It's Webster 1828. And then there's other means by which we're to discipline. And it says, as many as I love, I rebuke, I rebuke, I rebuke and chasten. So we have chastening, we have rebuke. So the one uses the rod to inflict bodily pain, while the other one uses words to cut deep at times. You don't always have to use the rod. Sometimes you do. You need to sit down and discuss things and talk about things. I'm not talking about a three-year-old. I'm talking about a teenager probably. Sometimes you do need to reason. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Rules without reason equal rebellion. And so you do, you need to make sure that they understand why the rules are in place. Understand the heart behind the rule. The purpose behind the rule. So, the method of discipline. Biblical discipline is really spanking as you would understand it today and as I would understand it. And so we're going to end right there because I wanted to get into the actual, what, what this method, this biblical method produces. Because it produces what you really want and what I want. But I'm telling you that it's not enough to just simply spank your kids. And we'll get into this later. You have to train your children. Too many times we think, well, they do something wrong, I'm just going to whoop them. You know, it's a funny thing how, we, how, how upset we get and how quick we get upset when we go to work and our boss jumps all over us for not doing something. And we say, I didn't even know I was supposed to do that, nor did I know how to do that. And yet they still held me accountable to it. And sometimes with our own kids, we do that. Hey, do this. Hey, do that. Hey, do this. And the kid's like, What? And then they don't do it and we jump all over them. Oh, I'll just spank him. He'll get it sooner or later. Well, why don't you train him first? Show him what you want him to do. Explain it to him and then do it with him and then have him do it. And then when he doesn't do it, it'll be rebellion. Because he does know what he's supposed to do and how it's supposed to get done now. Don't just tell a kid, make the bed. And then you come in and go, that's a mess. That's terrible. Get across the couch. (laughs) Do you know how many times parents have a tendency to do that without realizing that kids many times are confused? Your kid may be super smart, but don't give him too much credit. He's still a kid. She's still a kid. They need taught. They need trained. Well, we don't have much more time. I, I wish I could talk for another hour on this. Maybe, might get through at least two points. This is important stuff. I mean, it's really important. I, I'm just watching the abuse of this, if you will. They talk about the abuse of, not, uh, the abuse of spanking. I'm telling you what, it's an abuse not to. I was going to say, all you got to do is walk into any Walmart down on Arlington Street. <laughs> just take a walk through Arlington Street, Walmart one day. And just watch how children and parents react. Last time I was in there, parents are screaming at the top of their lungs at their kids. One parent's over there cussing. We picked up a kid on the bus not long ago, and we're sitting there at the stop, and the parent's sitting in the door and says, get blankety-blank ready, you're supposed to be going to church. Oh, that's, that's, that's training up the child, right? Honestly, I mean, folks, and we think that what we're doing is working? And Christian parents aren't always any better. They just do it a little bit more civilized. But I'm telling you what, even then sometimes it's crazy because behind closed doors, probably some of us would never even believe what we would hear from people in this room, how they talk to their children, And sadly, how their children talk to them. Nobody's told me anything, but I'm going to tell you something. I'm not stupid. I see things. I look around. And can I tell you something, just real quick? Don't leave the church over this, but probably your four- and five-year-old teachers down there, they need... I'm telling you what, we have to make them sign a disclosure stating that they will not share anything that they hear from their kids. I'm teasing about the disclosure. But the truth is, is that I'm telling you, don't think for a minute that your little secrets are secret. Your kids are brutally honest when they go into four- and five-year-old class, and sometimes two- and three-year-old class. Mommy threw a pan at Daddy last night. You don't think that stuff, Do you don't think they know this stuff? Mommy called me a... Don't say that in church, son. But mommy called me... No, don't say it in church. I'm telling you, that's what I'm saying. Be sure your sin will find you out. Now, you you can rest assured that none of those teachers come to me and tell me those things. They don't. So I don't know this stuff. But I know it happens. Listen, let's just make sure that we're doing things God's way. And if we do have an issue with our kids, then let's get back to discipline. And I'll talk more about that starting next week, okay? All right.